We're in the midst of a series of lessons entitled Life by the Book. And understanding that the Bible is God's blueprint for our lives. That the Scriptures are the manufacturer's instruction manual. It is our desire to read and carefully follow His directions for our daily living. And in that light, so far we've taken a look at what the Bible says about salvation and what the Bible says about service. That brings us today to what the Bible says about God's will. I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've had people ask me, how do I know God's will for my life? And time and time again, we're faced with an important decision. We're at a crossroads, if you will. And we want to know which way to go in a certain situation. How can I determine the right direction, the direction that God is leading me? How can I make the best decision when I'm faced with several choices before me? What the Bible says about God's will question pops up quite often in the course of our lives. <laughs> Who should I marry? <laughs> what college should I attend? What career path should I choose? Where should I live? <laughs> what church should I attend? And on and on we go. What the Bible says about God's will. Look at the Apostle Paul's advice in today's text. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Ephesians 5, we pick it up with verse 15. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think that's exactly where many of us are. We're just trying to understand what the Lord's will is for our lives. So let's take a closer look at what the Bible says about God's will. Beginning with God's will explained. What exactly do we mean when we use this term, God's will? How can we define it or describe it? Well, before we talk about what God's will is, I think it's important for us to understand a couple of things that God's will is not. Okay? First of all, God's will is not a mystical feeling from God. Simply put, God's will is not an emotion or a sensation. I had a pastor friend of mine used to say, it's not a quiver in your liver. It's not some kind of a a mystical feeling that suddenly overwhelms us. Many times I talk to people and they think that's what it is. I I look at them and I say, what are you waiting for? (laughs) And they'll go, well, I just don't feel it yet. (laughs) I just don't have this, the emotion, the sensation. I'm waiting for God to, you know, I don't know what, zap me or something. I don't know what they're waiting on. See, the problem with this approach to God's will is that feelings are highly unreliable. I mean, it's a dangerous thing to trust in your emotions, what you sense in your heart. Read Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 out loud with me, would you? 
The human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, God knows. But oftentimes we don't. And that's the point in all of this. It's not to trust this kind of mystical feeling to wait on that from God. But secondly, God's will is also not a mechanical formula from God. Simply put, God's will is not a recipe for us to follow. It's not a, 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 a method prescribed in order for us to attain a desired result. It's not a mechanical formula where when applied it guarantees a certain outcome. Now, I know a lot of people who wish it was that always this plus this would equal this. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. And the problem with that approach to God's will, besides the fact that it doesn't work, is that a formula leaves no room for free will or for the uniqueness of each individual person. It assumes that in every case, with every person, everything is in every way the same. And that's just not true. I mean, David understood how unique and complex we all are in God's sight. When he wrote in Psalm 139, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Yes, it was, but that doesn't mean that God predestined everything. God has a foreknowledge of your activities, what you're going to say and do and think. But He didn't, you know, give you this mechanical formula that you are to follow. So God's will is not a mystical feeling, nor is it a mechanical formula from God. So what is God's will? Well, God's will, I think, in its essence, is simply a meaningful friendship with God. God's will is a meaningful friendship with God. Simply put, it isn't rules, it is a relationship. It isn't a life map that has every turn and you know every corner already mapped out. It's a lifestyle. It's not an agenda, A, B, C, D. It is an attitude toward life. In fact, Paul put it this way, Romans 12 and verse 2. Let's read this one out loud together. Read it with me. You must get a new attitude to life. Your whole mental outlook must be radically altered so that you will be able to decide what God's will is and to know what is good and pleasing to Him. You see, it's an, it's an attitude. It's a change of mind. It's a renewing of your mind is how some uh, translations translate that verse. Now, how do we know what is good and pleasing to God? We know by getting to know God. Individually, intimately in our lives. You see, the bottom line is this. Understanding God's will grows out of a meaningful personal relationship with Him. Hear me on this. Our focus is to know God, not to know God's will. Let me say that again. You've got to think about this one. Our focus is to know God. Not to know God's will every specific 
step. Because as we get to know God, he, His will really does become more apparent to us. I think about marriage. I use that as an example. If it's a healthy marriage, the longer the husband and wife live together, the more that they get to know one another and they actually begin to anticipate each other's desires and the heart of the other person. In fact, they can complete the other person's sentence, can't they? Before it's even finished. Yeah, that's, that's how a good marriage works. Well, the same thing is true in our relationship with God, folks. The more we get to know God, the more we understand His heart. The more that we are in tune with His desires for our lives. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9 reminds us, God is the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with His Son, even Christ our Lord. And that's what God desires. He desires the relationship. And so God's will is, in essence, a meaningful friendship with God. Now, with that simple, fundamental explanation of God's will in place, let's move on to our second main thought today, and that's God's will expanded. As we get to know God then, as our daily relationship with Him deepens and broadens, it isn't long before we discover that God's will falls into two distinct Categories. Let me expand on this just a bit. First of all, God's universal will for every person. God's universal will for every person. There are certain things, you see, that God wills for all humankind. His universal will is clearly revealed to us in the Bible, His Word. And it generally applies to every single person without exception. Male, female, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, everyone. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Well, here's a few examples. I put them there in your notes. Salvation. It is God's universal will that every person be saved. Jesus himself said in John 6 and verse 40, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord does not want anyone to be destroyed or lost, but wants all to turn away from their sins. And so it's God's universal will, you see, that everyone would come to know Jesus Christ as the forgiver and the leader of his or her life. That, that we would find salvation. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. Another example would be holiness. It is God's universal will that every person in Christ should be holy in his or her life. Read First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 out loud with me. It is God's will that you should walk the road to holiness. Yeah, that's God's will for us, folks. And that applies to every person. Once we have found salvation in Jesus Christ, God's will for us, universally, is that we would become holy, just like He is holy. We would walk that road to holiness. Another example would be thankfulness. It's God's universal will that every person be thankful or grateful. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 tells us no matter what happens. Did I read that right? Yeah, no matter what 
happens. Just want to be sure. Always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. See, God wants us to be thankful all the time. It's not our thankfulness, our attitude of gratitude is not dependent upon our circumstances around us. It's dependent upon what's happening in us. Another of God's universal will would be service. We talked about this last week in our lesson. It's God's universal will that every person be a servant, a minister, if you will. Notice what it says, Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And ultimately we are, aren't we? We're working for the Lord. Yeah, we may be serving others by our gifts and our abilities, but it is the Lord that we're honoring and glorifying by serving. One more example. That would be unity. It is God's universal will that every person be united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks coming up in this series. It's a topic we don't talk about very often, unity, but we're going to talk about that. Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10 tells us, He made known to us the mystery of His will to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. He wants us to be united in in Christ. In fact, one of the last prayers Jesus prayed, John chapter 17, before He went to the cross, was a prayer for unity that we would be one even as He and His Father are one. Now, of course, we could go on and on and on and on with many other examples of God's universal will for all people, but I think you get the idea, do you? Okay. To summarize, God's universal will is anything and everything that is clearly revealed to us in the Bible. All of the commands and all of the principles that apply in general to each and every person without exception. It applies to all of us. We pray for Ron as he answers the call. (laughs) Now the second distinct category of God's will is God's unique will for each person. There are some things, understand, that God wills for one human being alone. Now, His unique will please understand, is not revealed to us in the Bible. In other words, you can't look under M for marriage to find out who you're supposed to marry, or V for vocation to find out what your career is supposed to be, or L for location to figure out where you're supposed to live. However, there are still times that God does reveal His will specifically to an individual concerning a specific circumstance or situation in that individual's life. And a good example of that would be the Apostle Paul. I put a couple scriptures there. You can look them up later. But basically, he experienced this on several occasions throughout his ministry. But just to show you how God's will works both ways... In Acts 16 and verse 6, we're told that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from preaching in the province of Asia. That is, God's unique will for Paul was not to travel to the north to do missionary work in Asia at that particular time. Paul says the Holy Spirit forbid him from going there. And yet three verses later, in Acts 16 and verse 9, we're told that Paul received a vision calling him to the province of Macedonia. That is, God's unique will for Paul at this point in time was for him to travel west to do missionary work in the province of Macedonia. See, 
God had a specific will, a unique will for Paul in that situation. Now, I need to say something here that might surprise some of you. I do not believe that God has a unique will for each and every situation in each person's life. Let me say that again. I do not believe that God has a unique will for each and every person in each and every situation in a person's life. (laughs) I've known some people pulling into the mall who go, God, what parking place is your will? (laughs) Now, I don't mean to make fun, but I don't think God cares. Really? Now, that doesn't mean maybe you shouldn't pray for a parking place, I guess. I've got to be careful there because next week we're going to talk about prayer. (laughs) But in other words, as long as we are living under God's universal will for our lives, I believe that God has given us a great deal of freedom to make choices. In fact, when making the decision, there may be several choices that are good Choices. It isn't that one of them is right and all the other ones are wrong. And that God's some kind of a, you know, playing some kind of a game with us and going, here's all these choices, choose one. And then we choose one and God goes, wrong. (laughs) No, not at all. Most often, God just expects us to use our brains and our common sense to make a decision. The idea that there's only one and and only one acceptable decision for every situation in life is simply not found in the Bible. And neither is the idea of a divine blueprint for every minute detail of our lives. Once again, God's will for our lives is that we have a meaningful relationship with Him. It's not rules, it's a relationship. It's not a life map with every step mapped out. It's a lifestyle. It's not an agenda, A, B, C, D. It's an attitude that we have. And whether we choose to go to college A or B, or whether we choose to work as a dentist, a lawyer, a farmer, an engineer, or whatever, whether we choose to marry Sally or Sue... (laughs) As long as we remain under God's universal will, God will bless our decision. I put it in your notes. I'll put it up here as well. I think it kind of works like this. Think of God's universal will as an umbrella for your life. As long as you are living under God's universal will, okay, you with me on this? What the Bible teaches, the principles, the commands of Scripture. As long as you're living under God's universal will for you, yes, God may at times have a unique will specifically for you in a certain situation, and and sometimes He does. But most of the time, I think, He allows us to make our individual decisions underneath the umbrella of His universal will, and sometimes there are many choices, good choices, for us to choose from under the umbrella of His will. I hope I'm making sense here. That brings us to our final main thought this morning, which is God's will explored. In fact, let's let's begin by doing this. Read this out loud with me. Psalm 143, verse 10. You are my God. Teach me to do your will. 
Be good to me and guide me on a safe path. I like that verse because I think that, that it just explains what I was just saying. We're wanting to be taught God's will, what he, what he tells us here in the, in the Word of God, the Bible, that we're to do, the, the, the do's and the don'ts, the, the principles, the commands of Scripture. We want to be under His will. And so our prayer is, God, teach me Your will. Help me to learn what Your universal will is for my life. And then be good to me and guide me on a safe path. We want to choose a safe path. We want to choose a a good path, don't we, in our daily lives. And so, as we're seeking to honor God through our lives, how can we be sure that we make the very best decisions possible? As we're living under God's universal will, how can we know which path or which direction we should choose? Well, let me offer to you an eight-step process that I've developed over the years. I use it oftentimes in counseling to help people as they are seeking God's unique will or trying to make the very best decision possible. There's eight questions that you ought to ask yourself. Let me give them to you. Number one, am I living under the umbrella of God's universal will for my life? You've got to start there. Do we understand that? that you always have to check that. <laughs> you always have to ask yourself that question first and foremost. Am I living under the umbrella of God's universal will for my life? Now Jesus himself summarized the passion and the calling of his own life this way in John 4 and verse 34. My food is to obey the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work he gave me to do. And that ought to be the same attitude that we have. Can you say that it is your all-consuming passion in life to fulfill God's universal will? And you have to come back to that, and you have to ask yourself that question. Am I really today, right now, as I'm facing this decision, am I living under the umbrella of God's universal will? Because if you're not, you might as well not even go on with the rest of the questions. Alright? Number two. Does the Bible say anything, directly or indirectly, about the decision I am facing? Now again, the Bible doesn't always address each and every situation in life directly. However, there are often guiding principles that will affect the decision indirectly. Remember, the Bible itself tells us in Psalm 119 verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light. For my path. And so we need to understand that God's word sometimes does speak in principle to something that affects this decision that I have to make. I certainly need to search it to find that out. See? Number three, what counsel do my Christian family and friends have to offer me about my decision? What counsel do my Christian family and friends have to offer me about my decision? Let's read this verse out loud. Proverbs 12, verse 15. Fools think they know what is best, but a sensible person listens to the advice of a friend. Isn't that true? Now, I would edit that to say Christian friend. Why do I I say that? Because if you're walking the path for God under His universal will, why in the world would you seek the advice and the counsel of somebody who doesn't share that pathway? (laughs) I mean, if they're not on the same page with you spiritually, 
I wouldn't ask their advice. That's just my two cents on it. Number four, what counsel do my church leaders have to offer me regarding my decision? Church leaders. Hebrews 13 verse 17 reminds us to be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. When you're facing a decision which way to go, ask for pastoral advice. Ask your church leaders. God placed them in the position that they're in for a reason. Number five. In what way do my present circumstances bear upon my decision? My present circumstances. Now Jesus offers a couple of illustrations in Luke 14. He says, Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? (laughs) Common sense. That's what he's saying. Count the cost. Look at the present circumstances. What bearing do they have upon your decision? Number six. What are the pros and cons? weighing for or against my decision. I actually tell people, get a piece of paper. Do it the old-fashioned way. Get a piece of paper out, draw a line right down the middle, and list the pros and the cons. I mean, literally make a list and spend a few days at it. Prayerfully seeking, you know, what is the pro, what is the con here? Proverbs 13, verse 16 says, Every prudent person acts out of knowledge. (laughs) the pros and the cons Proverbs 19 verse 2 puts it this way it's not good to have zeal without knowledge I I know some people who have lots of zeal I mean they just charge like a bull in a china closet and they never even use their common sense and they get into all kinds of trouble and then they do it again and then they do it again and then they do it again they're wondering why in the world is my life always a mess because you have zeal without knowledge (laughs) Yeah. So, number seven, as I prayerfully consider the above information, does my decision give me peace and confidence? As I prayerfully consider the above information, I've gathered all this stuff in those earlier questions. Does my decision give me peace and confidence? Let's read uh, uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 out loud together. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. You see, I do think emotions eventually come into play here, but only after you've done all the other stuff. You with me? Only after you've gathered all of this and you have been prayerfully seeking what the best decision would be in all these different ways we've just talked about, then there will come a point in time where you have peace, where you're at rest, you have confidence in the Lord. Number eight, what would keep me from boldly moving forward in acting upon my decision right now? 
What would keep me from boldly moving forward and acting upon my decision right now? I think of Elijah's question to the Israelites when they couldn't decide whether to follow God or to follow Baal. 1 Kings 18 verse 21. How much longer will it take you to make up your minds? I've used that scripture with people many times. You know, they've they've gathered all this information and they're still stuck. (laughs) And they they can't make a decision. They're in the valley of indecision and I want to just shake them and say, when are you just going to make up your mind? When are you going to hit, you know, put the pedal to the metal and get going with this decision that you need to make? And so, as we're seeking to honor God through our lives, how can we be sure that, to make the very best decisions possible? Well, here's an eight-step process to help you as you seek God's unique will or the best decision that's before you. Eight questions to ask yourself. Let me summarize these practical steps by giving you an example, an actual practical example of how this works. Now, I'm going to reach back into my past here. One of the very first times that I used these questions was 40 years ago when I was making up my mind whether or not to marry my wife, Karen. Now, Karen's not here today. She's in Arizona visiting her friend. But if she was here, I'd still use this example because I think it's a good one. (laughs) Should I decide to marry Karen? That was the decision that was before me. So I went through this process. Am I living, number one, under the umbrella of God's universal will for my life? The answer to that I came to through prayer and fasting was yes. I was a seminary student at the time and felt confident that I was really trying the best of my ability to live under God's universal will. Does the Bible say anything directly or indirectly about the decision I'm facing? Does the Bible say anything about marriage? Hello? (laughs) Yeah! I looked up every scripture in the Bible that had anything at all to do with marriage. I mean, there's principles there like a Christian should never marry a non-Christian. That when you leave your mom and dad, you cleave to your wife and you become one flesh. Now that took me a while to unpack that one. That as a husband, I am to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Ooh, that was a heavy one for me to deal with. And on and on I went. See, there's a lot in here, isn't there, that affected this decision. Number three, what counsel do my Christian family and friends have to offer me about my decision? I asked my family and friends for advice. In fact, it was because of that we delayed our marriage a whole year. (laughs) I mean, I was wanting to get married, you know. And uh, I got counseled to wait. And we did. What counsel, number four, do my church leaders have to offer me regarding my decision? I went to the pastor that I had at that point in time and asked for his advice. And Then I went to one of my most beloved professors at the Bible College Seminary and asked for his advice as well. And listened to what they have to say. Number five, in what way do my present circumstances bear upon my decision? I was going to college at the time. I had to take that into consideration. And I had to ask the money, can I afford this? Because <laughs> I hear couples all the time, oh, two can live as cheap as one. I tell them, yeah, they can for half as long. <laughs> and then six, what are the pros and cons weighing forward against my decision? I actually made a list. And I kept that list active for about three or four weeks, actually. I showed it to Karen. <laughs> That's risky. Yes, it is. 
Number seven, as I prayerfully consider the above information, does my decision give me peace and confidence? I spent 14 days in prayer and fasting before I made that decision. And in that 14 days, I came to peace about that decision. Other than my relationship with Christ, I thought that's probably the most important decision I was ever going to make in my life. You with me? And number eight, what would keep me from boldly moving forward and acting upon my decision right now? Nothing! <laughs> yeah, so we got married, and we've been married for 40 plus years now, you know? But you see how the, how the process works? Is this making sense? Okay. Life by the book. This morning we've taken a closer look at what the Bible says about God's will. And I trust and pray that you have picked up some practical biblical insights this morning to help you as you're seeking to obey God's universal will and seeking His unique will and at times just facing decisions that you need to make a good decision about. Let's wrap up today's lesson by reading Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21 out loud together. Read it with me. Now may the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ all that is pleasing to Him. Shouldn't that be 